Hey, what's up? It's Ed. It's Wrestling for MMA. It's about wrestling and MMA and the intersection between the two. Hopefully you've listened before. If not, welcome. Um, yeah, last week's podcast was about some of the fighters on the last UFC fight night. Uh, Ilya Toporia, uh, Mozart Ivoyev, and a little bit about Hermans and Vittori. Ivoyev's fight was scrapped from the card. That's unfortunate. Uh, we talked about how he was a really good demonstration of someone with one high competency in wrestling and also a good demonstration of anti-wrestling and uh, a little bit of counter-wrestling. That was, that was a fun conversation. So if you go back and listen to that, recommend it. And uh, Ilya Toporia about his grappling and wrestling system and just his, his overall game as a fighter and how he's kind of complete. And we didn't really see that. <laughs> he just uh, battered Damon Jackson's body and then put him out. Uh, no grappling in that fight, unfortunately, but maybe next time. See, so, yeah, it's a, it's one of those first world problems where I am happy that he won, but I'm upset that he didn't grapple. Uh, but, you know, who am I to complain about one of my favorite prospects winning? So that's fine. Hopefully he fights again soon. And, yeah, today is going to be about Tony Ferguson, for the most part, uh, with regard to MMA discussion. A little bit of recap from last week before that. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking about Tony Ferguson's style a little bit, just some of the things I think he does well, and we'll touch on the Charles Oliveira fight a bit. Uh, but yeah, so let's uh, let's talk about some other stuff that happened. Now, this is the Wrestling for MMA podcast, but wrestling's important, and I don't really have another podcast that just talk about wrestling, so I'm going to do that too. Um, in the MMA world, some other things happened, like Mo Miller won. Do you guys know Mo Miller? I wrote about him when he was still an amateur fighter. I interviewed him. Uh, he was a wrestler at Notre Dame College, which is a Division II school. That's where Joey Davis went. Um, if you don't know Joey Davis, he was a four-time NCAA D2 champion, undefeated. Uh, and now he's undefeated in MMA. He fights for Bellator. He's a welterweight. Mo Miller is a bantamweight. Uh, he was teammates with Joey. He was a two-time All-American uh, in D2 competition. Notable that he did not even make the state tournament in high school in Ohio and then made that huge jump and improved a lot. He was the number one ranked guy a couple of years in college. So he actually underperformed at NCAAs, but was still a two-time All-American. So very good wrestler, very strong, very big for the weight. Um, huge mat returns, you know, nice quick ankle picks, singles, but he's actually mostly an upper body guy, um, a lot of throws and trips. So I thought he was going to be great for MMA, great athletic style, um, you know, great tools. Everything went together and he's training at Strong Style in Ohio, which is a Stipe Miocic's gym. So I was, I was really high on him and he's been doing really well. I wrote about him after his last fight before this one. Uh, he fought uh, Mando Gutierrez, who was a good grappling prospect and a wrestler as well. And Mo dominated him and uh, dropped him and threw him around and just looked competent and pretty close to complete already. Um, and he fought again last weekend. And he, it was funny, he posted the weigh-in picture. And we talk a little bit. He posted the weigh-in picture and I replied, Ragdoll and Mo, uh, just, you know, as encouragement. And because I know he, he throws people around and he did ragdoll him. He kept Matt returning him and slamming him and Matt returning him over and over again and kept trying to uh, stick the landing on his hip. He was falling to his hip so he could basically slam this guy's head on the mat. And he just kept doing it until eventually he made solid contact and the guy got knocked out uh, by a mat return. So he did ragdoll him. He did win. So that's a slam KO win for Mo Miller. Looking really good. Um, I hope he fights for the LFA title next. And then uh, UFC right after. I hope so. He's uh, he's only 5-0 and now, but he had six or seven amateur fights. And he's 27, so it's time. Let's go.
no, no use delaying. So I'm excited for Mo Miller. Uh, he's a great guy as well. You should follow him on Twitter. Do that. So yeah, that was cool. And then uh, in wrestling news, the RTC Cup happened. So RTC stands for Regional Training Center, uh, basically in domestic international styles competition. So freestyle and Greco. In the U.S., uh, you have wrestling clubs. And the official wrestling clubs that are recognized by USA Wrestling are RTCs. Uh, that's basically a distinction. And they pay for resident athletes. Uh, and that it actually has no correlation to the college team. So like Penn State has the Nittany Lion Wrestling Club. But they don't practice together. And they're not supposed to have much of an intercession. But they do. Um, and that's when like a school having a lot of money or like a, a wrestling club having a lot of donors and boosters, that really makes a difference. Um, there's a lot of talk about that when Penn State, not Penn State, Nittany Line Wrestling Club started snatching up Kyle Snyder and Dan Kirkley and a bunch of guys, Thomas Gilman, and they have the most money so they can just keep hiring and bringing all these high profile world medalists and world champions. Uh, and it makes college kids want to go to Penn State because they know, even though it's not connected to the team, I'm in Happy Valley, they're in Happy Valley, I'm gonna to get to train with David Taylor and Kyle Snyder and Thomas Gilman and whoever, Zane Rutherford, Jason Nolf. So it's a little shady, but uh, the RTC Cup was a dual tournament. So if you don't know in wrestling, a dual meet is team versus team. You have one guy at each 10 of, of 10 weights and everyone wrestles from each team. And then there's you know scoring based on the way they win. Um, and it's the most exciting form of wrestling in my opinion, because every point matters. It really uh, incentivizes, you know, getting bonus points or holding off bonus points or getting a pin or whatever. And freestyle is a little different. So in freestyle, the scoring goes, if you win and you don't tech them and they score points, it's three points for your team, one point for their team. If you do the same thing and they don't score any points, three for your team, zero for their team. If you tech them and they do score points, four, one. If you tech them and they don't, four, zero. And then uh, a pin is five. So that's the scoring system in freestyle. And a dual tournament is you have two pools uh, of teams. You do round robin dual meets. And the winners of each pool will go onto the semis. And then uh, they did it kind of dumb where the quarterfinals to get to the semifinals was the teams that already wrestled in the same pool. So, for example, uh, Spartan RTC won their pool. Um against like the NJRTC and uh, a couple other teams. But then the NJRTC came out again through the quarterfinals and they had to wrestle the same team again in the semifinals. They should have mixed it, which they didn't. But um, the NJRTC plus the Southeast RTC, they combined their teams because they didn't have enough guys. They made the finals and the Cliff Keen Wrestling Club, which is Michigan, uh, they made the finals and it was awesome. And a lot of stuff happened. <laughs> it's hard to recap all of it, but... Uh, yeah, uh, check out my article about uh, the, the heavyweights. Because uh, Nick Wisdowski, who's the returning world team member, two-time world medalist, he got upset twice. Uh, he almost got upset by Mason Paris, who was down 8-0, two points from a technical fall. And he came back and teched him. And then he wrestled Gable Stevenson, who's a you know phenom, multiple-time age group world champion from Minnesota. Uh, Gable beat him pretty comfortably. And then, uh, which makes him basically the number one guy in the country at heavyweight. Uh, like to make the Olympic team, he should be favored to make the Olympic team now. And then uh, Gwizdowski wrestled Mason Paris again. Mason Paris is also an age group world champion, wrestles from Michigan, and then he beat Gwizdowski. So they both have wins over him now, and it's a, a sticky situation. 
Uh, but yeah, a lot of cool stuff happened. Read the article. If you have a Flow Wrestling subscription or, or like Flow Combat, whatever gets you there, I recommend checking that out because uh, it was my favorite event of the year. I love tournaments. I loved uh, dual meets. So everything went well, really high level wrestling. Okay. Uh, before we talk about Tony Ferguson, I just wanted to talk a little bit about some wrestlers to look out for who are fighting this week. Excuse me. Uh, Bellator. Bellator 254 is on Thursday. Hopefully this comes out on Wednesday. Uh, but the champion, Alima Leigh McFarlane, I believe she's the flyweight champion. Uh, she is a wrestler. She wrestled in Hawaii, and she earned a scholarship to Menlo College, which is in California. They're uh, a pretty competitive uh, women's uh, college wrestling association team. Uh, women's wrestling in college is mostly WCWA, but they're actually starting to get Division One teams. Uh, which is pretty cool. So you're going to see women's competition at, at other levels now, which is great for them. Uh, she actually didn't take the scholarship to Menlo. She didn't wrestle in college. Uh, but now that she's in MMA, she's really shining as a wrestler and grappler. So good for her. Uh, Magomed Magomedov is fighting uh, Matthews Matos, which is <coughs> a really great fight. Um, that's like a high-level world title level fight. Uh, if they fought for the title on ACA, I'd be very excited about that. But uh, if you don't remember, both of these guys fought Peter Jan. Uh, in his regional career, both of them looked legit, uh, very good. Magomedov actually has a win over Jan. They had a fight of the year, five-rounder, uh, and I think Magomedov won a split decision, and then they had a rematch, and Jan, like, totally jumped levels and, and dominated him, essentially. Uh, but Magomedov is a really good wrestler. That's how he won uh, the first Jan fight, was taking him down in top game game, even though Jan was super active off his back. But, yeah, watch that fight for sure. It should be really good. Uh, some prospects. Cody Law is fighting. Cody Law is a Pennsylvania guy, so I know him pretty well. Uh, haven't watched him. I don't know him personally. But, uh, yeah, he was a two-time state placer in high school and one-time state champ uh, in a double-A competition, which is the smaller schools. Pennsylvania has a two-class system. Uh, so triple-A would be a bigger deal, but double-A is still a big deal. Uh, and then he wrestled for Penn State for two years, and he had a winning record, but he wasn't a strong starter for them. And with their recruiting power, they can get better guys. So he ended up transferring to Pitt-Johnstown, uh, which is closer to his hometown. That's a D2 school, and I believe he placed fourth his first year D2, and then he won the national title as a senior. Uh, so good, good little trajectory for him. And he was 5-0 as an amateur, and he's 1-0 so far as a pro. So look out for Cody Law. I hope he's good. Um, I like when Pennsylvania guys do well. And the big prospect on the card is Romero Cotton. He is a 4-0 MMA now. Uh, but in Division II wrestling, he was a three-time national champion, and he was runner-up as a freshman for uh, University of Nebraska at Kearney, uh, which is a super strong D2 school. Uh, big guy, super good. Uh, he beat Garrett Leinberger, who is a, a prospect that I'm interested in. Garrett Leinberger was a two-time NCAA champion in Division II, and he um, fights for one championship now. He had one amateur fight, and then he got signed by one, so... They like what they see. Uh, and Garrett also wrestled at Notre Dame College. So I got a lot of uh, D2 insights from my, my time studying the Notre Dame College guys. So uh, those are some people to look out for, mostly on the uh, on the Bellator card. Uh, really the only wrestler to look out for in the UFC card is Tony Ferguson. So let's talk about Tony Ferguson. He was a Michigan State champion wrestler. Uh, he had a scholarship to wrestled division one he went to central michigan university which is a pretty solid team i don't know what happened there but uh i, I 
assume that Tony Ferguson just knowing who he is does not fit in <laughs> in like a, a more rigid academic environment. So maybe uh, it just wasn't the right fit for him college uh, wrestling in, in a university. Uh, he went to Grand Valley State, which is a club level team, and he won a national title. Um, I think like 165 pounds, he won a national title. Kevin Lee also went to Grand Valley State, so it's interesting that they that they fought. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, I have. I mean, I've been watching Tony Ferguson since he debuted, but I since I started thinking more critically about wrestling in MMA, I never really considered him as somebody to think about because of how. Uh, willing he is to play off his back and how often he pulls guard and, and that he's mostly like a striker. I revisited some of his old fights. I rewatched all of his fights and I changed my mind. <laughs> I think Tony Ferguson is a very good wrestler for MMA and I'll tell you why. So part of my issue was that he prioritizes counter wrestling rather than defense or anti-wrestling. Anti-wrestling being strike selection that helps you defend takedowns to prevent wrestling from happening in the first place, defense being what you do once you're in the situations, counter wrestling being trying to capitalize on their offense wrestling, not, you know, stopping it and then whatever. I was wrong about that. He, he is a counter wrestler because he does go to his back and try to counter, but uh, he defends well first. He doesn't just automatically go to his back. He's capable of defending basically everything that comes at him. And then he says, okay, I have you in front headlock now. I'm going to pull guard for a Dars. Um, it, basically, every fight I watched, he had good takedown defense. Um, the only times where he really didn't have a prayer of defending something, uh, Abel Trujillo uh, blasted through him on a couple of kicks and gassed for it. Um, and Kevin Lee had some good reactive shots and uh, body locks against him. And Kevin Lee, I, I, wrote, I wrote about his wrestling MMA uh, as well way back uh, a couple of years ago. Check that out if you want. It's a wrestling for MMA, Kevin Lee. But uh, yeah, I mean, Tony Ferguson's actually held up very well as a wrestler uh, in most of his fights. And people look at the Danny Castillo fight as a time that he got held down. He defended, I think, all of Danny Castillo's takedown attempts and then pulled guard. <laughs> uh, pulled guard anyway, so he just really wanted to finish him. So in a context where Tony Ferguson does not want to go to the ground, which I don't think exists, he would be very good at stopping fights from going to the ground and, and keeping it standing. Um, I was also wrong that he doesn't anti-wrestle. I think he does anti-wrestle. Um, he loves that front snap kick to the body, um, but the lead leg, I think he steps up into it. Uh, that's a great, great tool. Basically, if you're thinking about it, you're trying to come forward and change levels, um, you're going to eat that kick. <laughs> it's going to dig in. It's going to stop your momentum. Uh, he's a solid jabber. Jabbing is a good way to prevent wrestling because you can maintain a, a bigger distance. Um, he fights very long in general. What isn't very anti-wrestling about him is when he crashes forward, which he does very often. A lot of crashing forward, but he kind of, uh, he makes up for that with uh, his knee game and uh, his elbows, obviously. His elbows are a big part of his game. So people trying to close distance on him when he's crashing forward, uh, a lot of the time they're just going to run into something, which is a good strategy to prevent someone from getting a hold of you. But when they do get a hold of him, that's where I'm really impressed. So I always talk about the strategy and the tactics and then the competency. The competency is just in these situations, what does their wrestling look like? What kind of stuff do they do? Uh, and he's, he's great. Um, if you get to his legs, he wizards quickly. And being a tall guy, you know, working a wizard, you can really stand someone up and take them off your legs. Uh, so he wizards great, hides his hips, basically turns his hips in very well, gets his hips back very well if it's a deeper penetration shot. Um, fights grips 
early, often, immediately. It looks very strong in those positions. In the clinch, he is good. Uh, turns people off well. Against Abel Trujillo, he had an underhook on one side, and he uh, fed the arm across across and outside the leg and turned him uh, very easily. So he looks like immediately transitioned, very smooth, very active, in basically every wrestling situation I've seen him in. So I was blown away. I'm like, oh, my God, I've been underrating him <laughs> this whole time. He's actually a very solid wrestler, uh, very strong looking, too. You'd be surprised how strong he is. So all the Imanari rolls and the Grambies and, and the pulling guard and the Darces and uh, against Eve Edwards, he hit a rolling Plata off the wizard, off the single. Uh, all that stuff is great, but fundamentally, he's good. Um, he does all the right things. So I was really happy about that, just to see that. Um, and yeah, I have been underrating him as a wrestler the majority of his career. So I apologize, Tony Ferguson. You're a great wrestler. Uh, I, I still don't think you need to pull guard every time you defend a takedown, but you know he's very confident in his choke game. I, I understand. He's fighting Charles Oliveira. And... Charles Oliveira is an underrated wrestler as well. Charles Oliveira has a very strong takedown game. Uh, long arms are great for doubles, and he's very strong. Um, so you'd think, you know, okay, you know, he's lanky, but he's so skinny. Like, he can't really move people, but he can. Uh, he looks very dominant in a lot of positions. So he threw Jim Miller around. He threw uh, Will Brooks around. Uh, he's thrown a lot of people around. He looks good as a wrestler. I think it's just, you know, once he's not getting top position, sometimes the offense is coming at him. That's when he starts to fade or wilt. But that hasn't happened in a long time. The Felder fight is the last time where I saw someone give Oliveira trouble and he kind of just let it keep happening to him. But he's had he's had pushback. He's had adversity. Um, just not from pressure fighters of the caliber of Tony Ferguson. So that's kind of where the, uh, where the issue lies. But uh, yeah, Oliveira, good body lock takedowns. Um, yeah, I won't say too much because Ben Conan is actually making a video about Oliveira's, you know, reactive shots and the way he uh, the way he takes people down. He's going to compare that to the way Tony Ferguson has been taken down to see if Oliveira can get him down. But in my mind, I don't know how much it matters if Oliveira gets him down because he probably will. He probably will take him down in the first round, just depending on the way Tony's fighting. If Tony's crashing forward, I could see it happening. Uh, if Tony doesn't look great off the back foot, I could see him getting something on the cage. But I also don't see Tony being controlled off his back. I think he'll make it competitive off his back. I think he'll make it tough for Oliveira. Uh, I think he won't give up back control, which would be death. That would be bad. Um, I think it'll be competitive if they grapple, and I really hope they grapple. So if Charles Oliveira wants to wrestle, I think that's great. <laughs> it's great for Tony Ferguson. Not even, if he takes, even if he takes him down, I think it's okay. Um, this is like what people were talking about with the Khabib matchup. They're like, oh, you know, Khabib will take him down, but what will happen once he's down? Will he get him tired? Um, we we're all saying, like, no, playing off your back against Khabib is a bad idea because it was. But playing off your back against Charles Oliveira in a fight where your path to victory is wearing him down and, you know, coming after him and just keeping the pace high and doing stuff, it's not that big of a deal. And Oliveira has really progressed as a striker. So it might actually be more in his favor to make it a messy, crazy fight on the ground than on the feet, especially if his chin's deteriorating at all or if his defense isn't quite there, if his, his you know, speed or reaction time aren't there. He might be actually served better to grapple. So I'm super interested in the matchup. Um, I hope that we see it. <laughs> I hope we see, first of all, the fight happen. I hope we see grappling. I hope we see wrestling. Um, 
Yeah, just based on uh, Charles Oliveira taking leg attacks, I think that'll work better for Ferguson. I think of Oliveira's counter on the body locks and things. Um, I think his size will make that a better look for him uh, to actually finish. So we'll see what he does. Uh, it's also interesting that they're both similar proportions. So that changes both of their games, I feel. You can't get the same things that you get on, on a shorter fighter. And a shorter fighter is also doing different things to you. Um, so it's a, it's a totally different look. And I think it's very interesting. Um, my unofficial prediction. Well, this is my official prediction. I put it in the staff picks article. Um, I think we're going to get a Pettis Oliveira situation. I think uh, Oliveira is going to look good and, and get to his grappling situations. And I think uh, it's going to keep going and he's going to feel more and more pressure to keep grappling and try to stay on top of uh, Ferguson because of the pressure he's getting on the feet. And I think he'll make a mistake. I think he might get submitted, actually. I think Ferguson might submit Oliveira. My backup prediction, which I am less confident about, is that Tony's kind of deteriorated and, and Oliveira cracks him on the feet. That could be rough. Um, that could happen. Oliveira striking is getting a lot better. He's very uh, potent offensively. They're very similar, actually, the way they approach fights these days. But um, if we're talking about the ability to, to push through a very active, crazy, brutal fight, then historically you want to look towards Ferguson. So I don't really know. I don't really know. It's weird. But yeah, I'm picking Ferguson. I haven't picked Ferguson in a big fight in a long time, but I'm going to do it. Uh, hopefully I'm not too late to the party and now he's shot or washed or something and it won't matter. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, oh yeah, I guess we could talk a little bit about Vittori Hermanson before I go. Um, I said that Vittori's defense was good. I said Hermanson's open space takedowns weren't that good. And uh, guess what? I was right. I was right like I always am. Uh, Vittori's defense looked really good. You know what else is cool? Uh, Hermanson got to a single and tried to hit the crackdown finish, which is like when you go to your hip and then you uh, cover up on a double or you jump your hips over, jump your hips back and cover. Uh, but it's a pretty precarious position if you don't know what you're doing. And he's just kind of hanging out there on his hip uh, with his head on, on the leg on the single. And uh, Vittori sat up and scooted his hip back a little bit and uh, fished for the, the switch on, on the other leg that was exposed on the near side. He hit a switch. Either stood up or reversed, I forget, but... Uh, that was cool. Yeah, these Kings MMA guys, they all learned how to wrestle really well. And uh, yeah, that makes me interested in guys like uh, Giga Chikadze, who's Georgian as well. I talked about the Georgians last week. He's Kings MMA and he's a striker, so that's even better. And I think his, uh, I haven't seen him defend takedowns or recently enough to remember what it looks like, but his, uh, his statistics are, are very good for takedown defense. So could be something there. Could be something there. Yeah, good for Vittori. I thought the stand-up was kind of uh, ugly and they both did the same thing <laughs> over and over again until, uh, until the fight was over. Basically, Hermanson stopped kicking after the second round, I believe, and uh, maybe he hurt his foot. But once he stopped kicking, he actually pressured a little bit more intelligently and, and boxed a little better. Uh, not well, but better. And it became a semi-interesting boxing match, but they were just using the same setups over and over again. I wasn't really that interested. I liked it more when Hermanson was trying and failing to wrestle him. To wrestle him, that was very fun for me. But uh, yeah, other fights that are happening: uh, Moreno, Figueredo. I think Moreno could try to wrestle. I think he he has an underrated takedown game as well. Uh, more reactive, more opportunistic, and uh, Figueredo is more of a counter wrestler at this point, as we saw against uh, Perez. Uh, he's looking to 
capitalize on the time it takes to finish a takedown. He's looking to, you know, hit the the saddle, that uh, that leg lock entry, or, you know, jump on a guillotine, or uh, just, just create a, an offensive submission situation rather than go through the wrestling and try to defend it. Um, and he's super strong, and he has a lot of energy in the first round, so I think that could be trouble. And Moreno tries to grapple, grapple early, but then get more of a drawn-out striking battle, and I uh, figure out gets a little more tired from swinging and fighting his fight, and I could see Moreno trying to implement some grappling uh, without too big of a risk, but I don't know. I see the striking going uh, Figueroa's way too much where that probably won't happen, and uh, I don't trust Moreno enough as an as a offensive wrestler, so I'm picking Figueroa. Um, but yeah, those are the two big fights on the card that involve wrestling and grappling. Hinata Moikano might body lock and take down Fiziev. Uh, I'm not sure. We haven't seen a lot of Fiziev trying to defend good wrestlers or grapplers, and I just assume that Moikano is like leagues better than him on the ground at this point, so it could be bad if he takes him down. I think it'll be really interesting if they stand, um, at least for a round or two. And if Fiziev starts to fade, that probably favors Moikano, but Moikano also sometimes fades a little bit in the third round, so... I think that could turn out to be a very competitive fight or something that ends immediately. <laughs> uh, just because, yeah, Fazio has great counter combinations. He's a big puncher. And uh, Moicano has a knack for, for snatching up opportunities. So cool card. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, whenever, whatever happens, I'll, I'll talk about it next week. And we'll look forward to whatever is happening next. But I don't think there's any major wrestling going on for a couple more weeks. So no wrestling talk for a little bit, but I'll keep I'll keep including it if you like it. Okay. That's it. Bye bye.